Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm flying solo today. I am your host, Allison Kilkenny. Look, did I forget to schedule a co-host again? Yup. I did, okay? I have quarantine brain. I don't know what day it is. I know it's the weekend, and I have a 50-50 chance of telling you if it's Saturday or Sunday, but I'm not going to put myself out there like that for your sick amusement. Hello, everyone. Hi, uh, this is Light Trees and News. How the show works is it's divided into thirds. Uh, we do pop culture recommendations up top because the world is a terrible place um, that is on fire. And we like to remember the things that like make us happy. And then we get into the bad news because we got to confront reality eventually, right? But don't worry. We end everything with good news. Everything will be okay, um, et cetera, et cetera. So hello. How are you guys doing? How is your quarantine? I recently had my two-month anniversary for quarantine. No big deal. Um, The two-month anniversary for quarantine is Driftwood. That has washed up onto a disgusting beach and it is just covered in sea scum so two month anniversary no big deal um chloe my roommate and i celebrated it by chasing her cat around our apartment because Joni, her little cat had a mouse wedged in his mouth uh i was aware of the mouse the mouse was in my room because um, New York is just an unending uh, parade of dreams is what it's like living in New York City. There was a mouse, rest in peace, (laughs) no longer present tense. In my room, I was aware of him. He was aware of me. He also knew, not to victim blame, guys. We don't victim blame on the show, but he fucking knew. He damn well knew there were four cats in this apartment at one point. Now there are three, but there used to be four. Um, nothing bad happened to the cat. Don't worry. Only a mouse dies in this story. So this little mouse knew that there were three cats in this apartment, at least three cats to his knowledge. And he still walked his ass out like something bad wasn't going to happen. We were watching a movie in the living room at the time. I hear a little distressed squeak from my room. Out runs Joni, clearly up to no good. And I was like, oh my God, he has the mouse in his mouth. So then it becomes a game of how do you get a cat to drop a fucking mouse? And let me tell you something. It is no easy task because that cat is in full warrior mode. I've never seen Joni behave this way. He was growling. His fur was standing on end. He wouldn't let either of my cats get close to him because he was like, literally my cats did nothing during this because, you know, they're both old. So they were just watching from the bed like, there he goes. He got the mouse. And I was like, I know he has the mouse, but they did nothing. But then once he had the mouse, they were suddenly curious, getting way too close to him. And he was like, no, 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 no. I fought and I worked for my kill. This my mouse. So then... Fortunately, he's also a stupid cat, right? So Chloe went and she got his little mouse toys. Then this fool 
picks up the mouse toy and has a dead mouse in his mouth and a toy ma- mouse and is running around the apartment. And we are chasing him. We're stupid, too. We don't know what to do. I'm holding a cardboard box because I think maybe this mouse is still alive. And if he drops it, it's going to run and I can catch it. Long story short, this mouse is so dead. So incredibly dead. Um, finally, 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 Joni drops it. I slam the box over the dead mouse and then proceed to slowly scoot this thing out because we don't want to pick it up. Um, and then I just whipped it out the front door. But that was how I celebrated my two-month quarantine anniversary, everybody. If anyone wants to send gifts of dead driftwood, um, disgusting driftwood, to help me, um, I was going to say commiserate. <laughs> commemorate commiserate that would be lovely so uh guys i have a patreon patreon.com slash allison kilkenny and if you are a five dollar member or higher over there you get to send questions but guess what not just questions that will answer on light trees and news but recommendations as well and dear listener both of the submissions that i'm going to read today are dang recommendations do i love it Yes, I do. So Brian writes that he has a music recommendation. Well, la-dee-da, Brian. I recently have gotten big into the subgenres of vaporwave and synthwave, two fairly modern genres of music, but they are direct line descendants of a genre of music from the 1980s Japan that I totally missed out on called city pop as most Americans did since the internet wasn't ubiquitous and the only way to get Japanese CDs in America was through (laughs) redonkulously. Man, you so rarely see redonkulously spelled out phonetically. Thank you, Brian. Expensive import CDs. Thanks to YouTube, a phrase you don't hear very often, uh, finding city pop outside of Japan is loads easier. This link, and listen, we usually don't like a link on Light Treason News because uh, listeners can't appreciate the link like I can appreciate the link, but I'll allow it, Brian. I'll allow it. One of the tracks, Plastic Love by Maria Takuchi, is widely considered to be the quintessential city pop track, and it's easy to see why. I've yet to hear a terrible version of this song, and I've heard three covers in the original language, one in Spanish, that was just epic, and two in English, one of which was merely mediocre as opposed to bad. Huh. Okay, guys, go check out Plastic Love by uh, Maria Takuchi. Sorry if I mispronounced that. I was really put on the spot with a lot of words I've never seen before. Redonkulously, my God. Big, big day for me. Big day. Uh, Elliot also writes in, Music Rex! Exclamation point. The Ambassador by Gabriel Kahane is an album where each song is a vignette attached to a specific LA street address, where the whole thing comes together to create a portrait of the city and its history. Wow, that's cool. This is Allison. I'm editorializing. Wow, that's cool. I'm a person who's usually too impatient for slow songs, but I go completely feral for every song on the album. It's so beautiful. Also, on the completely other end of the spectrum, I would really recommend Ghost. They're a Swedish metal band organized around the vocalist as a demonic anti-pope. Ah! It's very theatrical, very cool, and I've never met a casual Ghost fan. LOL. People go all in for them. 
Hope you're holding up okay in quarantine, and thank you for the podcast. Elliot, thank you for the excellent recommendation. Oh, man, I love getting music recommendations because I realize um, I have a couple pop culture blind spots on this show, me personally, and that is one of them. I don't offer as many music recommendations as I would like to. So love that you guys wrote in music recommendations. If me reading those recommendations got uh, your old brain spinning and you're like, man, I have recommendations that would blow your mind. Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. It's not too late. Guys, you can send questions, comments, recommendations at any time. You don't have to wait for me to put that post up asking for questions. If you're a $5 member or higher over there, you get to send questions any dang time you want. That's the privilege the VIP status you uh, you have as a Patreon supporter. So literally bother me whenever you want with your recommendations. Uh, Brian, Elliot, thank you so much. What great, fun recommendations. I'm going to check out both of these as soon as I'm done recording. I really need more music recommendations. I have been listening. I Okay, I'm this kind of music listener. I will listen to the same track. Not the same artist, not the same album, the same track hundreds of times in a row um, because that's how my brain works. But what has happened as a result of that is I'm listening to way more music in quarantine, obviously, more time to do it, uh, lots of downtime. So I have completely ran out of new music to listen to. So, oh my God, especially send music recommendations. Um, Love it. Love it. Uh, so, guys, I have a bunch of recommendations because, again, oh boy, she has so much downtime to just uh, watch whatever I want. So, uh, I, as everybody who has been a listener of mine for quite some time knows, I was a super fan of Breaking Bad and I had dabbled in Better Call Saul, watched the first season, and then it just sort of fell off for me. I don't know why. Life started watching other stuff, I guess, but I got very distracted, and I stopped watching Better Call Saul. But, oh, buddy, I just got caught up. I liked it so much that, what are there, six seasons now? I watched the first five seasons on Netflix, and then, I shit you not, I paid $20 to watch the sixth season on Amazon because I could not wait for that to come to Netflix. It is so good, and I'm going to make a controversial statement right now, so I hope you're sitting down on your ceremonial driftwood. I think it's better than Breaking Bad. Boom, boom. She did it. She said it. Breaking Bad, one of the greatest shows of all time. I think Better Call Saul is better. And here's the thing. How could that possibly be the case? (laughs) You might be asking. I think Better Call Saul had a way bigger obstacle to overcome in that, for the most part, we know what happens to all of these characters. Let me rephrase a little bit. We may not know what happens to them in the future because a lot of the... uh, Better Call Saul is essentially a, a flashback. And this isn't a spoiler because you know this in the first episode. Saul is in hiding. He's the manager of a cinema, Cinnabon. Don't you love it? I do. And we see what happened to him pre-Breaking Bad. So we know more or less 
that Saul is now a manager. He makes it out. We don't know what's going to happen to him five minutes in the future, which could be a big surprise. But there are other characters in the show. We know what happens to them. We know if they live or die. So how do you make that suspenseful? How do you make that interesting for the audience? And oh my God, I just every episode, fully the edge of your seat. I will say like it pops off in the latter seasons and the the first and second season are great and there's a lot of interesting stuff with Michael McKean who plays Saul's brother um and he is just oh my god what a phenomenal actor I'm not just saying that because he follows me on Twitter but now you guys all know that he follows me on Twitter and that's pretty cool right that's pretty cool um yeah I I love it so much it's it's just so well done um Rhea Seaborn, I think her name is, who plays Kim, is just exquisite. So good. And I'm going to say something. I don't... Okay. Bob Odenkirk is amazing as Saul, right? I think the only reason he doesn't get more accolades, because he is phenomenal. And I was sort of like, why is he not getting shouted out as much as, say, like, a Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul? And I truly think it's because he's Saul. He just became that character. So it's not as evident that he's acting his butt off and he is acting his butt off because it seems effortless. He's just that good. But anyway, Bob Odenkirk's so good. I hope once that show wraps up, he wins all of the awards and check it out. If you haven't seen it, especially if you have Netflix, um, the majority of the show is up on Netflix right now. So you can more or less get caught up. And then if you want to be a lunatic like me and buy <laughs> season six for way too much money, um, do that as well. Although I understand people who don't want to support Amazon and I salute you. Um, I didn't want to support Amazon. I'm just addicted to that show. <laughs> I was like, take my money. Uh, okay. So that is a show that you've probably heard lots about that everybody's recommend recommending. I also want to recommend a show. Literally every time I tweet about this show, it gets like one like. So I'll, my fear is that no one is watching this show and it's really unfortunate if that's the case. I hope it's not the case. Maybe I just have shitty people who follow me <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, Mrs. America on uh, Hulu. It's on Hulu. Yep. So good. I'm really enjoying it. Phenomenal cast. Um, you know, Kate Blanchett has gotten tons of accolades, deservedly so. Um, but the whole cast is great. Um, and it is the main writer, I think the, not, probably not the only writer, but uh, the, the woman who wrote it is a writer from Mad Men. And man, it shows. And I mean that in like the most flattering way uh, possible because it is just so well written. Uh, Davi Waller is the show creator um, one of the the main writers. She is a phenomenal writer. <clears throat> the pacing of the show is just nuts. Um, like, I don't know. It just, it's so captivating and it could have gone so badly. But I mean, check out this cast. Kate Blanchett, Rose Byrne, Uzo Aduba, uh, Elizabeth Banks. Come on. What do you want? John Slattery? Because again, Mad Men. Uh, Tracy Ullman. Sarah Paulson, what the fuck do you people want? They gave you everything. What do you want? Um, seeing some of the most amazing feminists like portrayed on screen, Gloria Steinem, Betty Friedan, uh, Shirley Chisholm, 
Bella, Jill, like everybody, everybody. Um, There is a scene. So in case you don't know the plot, Kate Blanchett is playing Phyllis Schlafly. Holy shit. If you don't know who Phyllis Schlafly is, she's just a big old bitch who uh, lived at one time and was like, feminists are bad. Gays are bad, even though her son is gay. Hello, plot twist. Um, she's just a bad person, and she went to war with some of the most prominent feminists of the era uh, as they were trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And obviously, Phyllis Schlafly was opposed to the Equal Rights Amendment. The feminists were supporting it. And they had a couple of very public, very heated debates with Phyllis Schlafly. There's an absolutely amazing, amazing episode when Betty Friedan, if you don't know Betty Friedan, uh, she wrote The Feminist Mystique, and she was a lot. She was a lot. And she had a very public blowout with Phyllis Schlafly and the way that episode is written. It's so good. And I just sincerely hope you're all watching it. Uh I'm also open to any criticisms of the show, any critiques. I was very nervous because um, without getting into too much information, I was approached to write on uh, a series, not this series, but um, there was a, a period of time a couple years ago where everybody wanted to write the quintessential Gloria Steinem show. And I was approached to write on one, and my main concern at the time was, if we're going to write something like this, we have to address how there was a lot of fracturing within the feminist movement and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of debate, spirited debate, necessary debate, between women of color and like the glorious Steinems of the world. And the women of color who were feminists in this movement were basically like, you don't understand our world and you're not addressing our needs. And they basically fractured off from the the glorious Steinem feminist movement. So I was like, if we're gonna actually write about this, we need to also address that as well. And thus far, I think Mrs. America does a pretty good job showing that fracturing, showing that there were women of color who worked for Gloria Steinem's magazine that were like, we're going to move to Oakland because we just don't feel represented by this movement. Could they get into it more? Yeah, maybe they will. I don't know where this show is going, so I don't want to offer any criticisms about that just yet. Um, but the I really enjoyed the Shirley Chisholm stuff. Uh, I thought Uzo did an amazing job with that. So are you guys watching it? Do you like it? What are your thoughts? I don't know. Let me know. I just hope that people are watching it. Also, without getting into details too much, because again, this show came out 20 years ago, I have finished The Sopranos. Thank you to everyone who sent like well wishes, thoughts during my journey. It was a lot. I enjoyed it very much. I'm going to say something that might be another hot take. I thought the ending of The Sopranos was magnifique. I thought it was great. I love the way it ended. I love the way it ended very abruptly. I thought it was cool. Uh, Tony is 100% dead. I don't know why anyone thinks that is up for negotiation. He 100 got his head blown off by that dude who came out of the bathroom. And then his poor fucking daughter, Meadow, walked in and saw the whole thing. That's how that show ended the only way it could possibly end the natural conclusion of a show about horrific violence and murder is that 
the head honcho, the guy who we see the entire show through his eyes, gets got. Sorry. Sorry if you thought Tony got away at the end. <laughs> 20 years late. But that is my hot take. Guys, uh, as always, I want to hear your recommendations. Hashtag Light Trees and Pod on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. We got email, lighttreesandnews at gmail.com. Listen, I don't check it that much, so maybe don't send me any time-sensitive information down that uh, pipeline. But the best place to reach me is always Twitter. I'm obsessed. It's kind of an issue. Oh, have any of you guys gotten that message yet when you try to tweet with profanity where Twitter's like, do you really want to do that? Has that happened to anyone yet? I think it's amazing that they don't care that Nazis use Twitter, but they're like, did you want to use the word fuck? You're a young lady. Do you want people to think you're unladylike? I'm going to swear so much on Twitter. Look out. Okay, everybody. Uh, it's at the time of the show. I'm so sorry. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here's your bad news. All right. Well, I'm actually glad that I opened the show talking about race divisions within the feminist movement because a lot of our bad news stories have to do with uh, the police murdering um, men of color, two black men. Um, so just a heads up that I'm going to be talking about sensitive matter like that. Um, also just a, a, a plea to anyone who's listening right now, be very uh, conscious of the fact that when you post videos of people being murdered, uh, in this case, two black men being murdered, that it is incredibly triggering for a lot of people. Like, when we say something triggers someone, it, it's not a harmless event, right? Like, when you trigger someone, it's it's a physical reaction that they have. It, it can create all kinds of, you know, side effects like your heart racing and like trouble breathing and like it's very very upsetting uh because again you're posting a video of a human being being murdered so i know that a lot of people were very upset by this um and and outraged and they wanted to share the story there's a way to share the story without straight up showing people um a guy being murdered so just be aware of that. Like, you don't need to do that. <laughs> like, I understand people being very upset, but be considerate of, of people, especially people of color who might follow you. And that's an, a very, very upsetting thing for uh, them to see. So don't do that. So anyway, um, I uh, first and foremost wanted to talk about um, Ahmed Arbery, who was the man who was running in, uh, he went for a jog in Georgia and there was a, a horrible uh, video of him jogging and two men uh, chasing him down and murdering him, shooting him fatally. So the update to the story, this is already getting very complicated, but I'll try to parse it right now, even though we don't have all the information yet. Two men have been arrested um, for the shooting, and... The update to the story is that uh, 
Gregory McMichael, who is the son of Waycross Judicial Circuit District Attorney George Barnhill, apparently helped with an earlier prosecution of Arbery when they both worked for the Brunswick Judicial Circuit District Attorney's Office. Okay, that was a lot of information. Um, Basically, what the CNN article is saying is that Gregory McMichael, one of the guys who murdered um, Arbery, previously had had an interaction with him in that he helped an earlier prosecution of him. So an extra layer to the story. Did he know that was the man that he had helped uh, prosecute earlier? Was that part of chasing him down and murdering him? We don't know. We don't know. It could still be a random thing where like they had this weird moment in history, but he is just a racist fuck and wanted to chase down a black man and murder him. Maybe. Maybe the the prior history has no bearing on what happened. Or... Maybe there was beef and he straight up murdered this guy, which is also terrible because of something that had happened in their past. Regardless of what the motivation was, regardless of anything like that, um, it, it, this terrible, terrible event is just another reminder that there are two different Americas, right? There's the reality that someone like me faces every day as a as a white person although a white lady so it's a little different but like I could most likely go jogging in my neighborhood Mm, there I would have to be cautious for a whole (laughs) plethora of different reasons but I've never had to have a thought in my mind that the cops or anybody else would necessarily shoot me just for me being white and being in their neighborhood whereas Black people have to face this reality all the time where it's like, yeah, that's another element of danger in this society. The cops, and we'll get to a story about the uh, a police shooting in a second, um, the cops can kill you with impunity as a black person and, and nothing will happen to them. It's not even considered a crime. So let's get to that story. Uh, as everybody was posting about that first story, there was also another instance of a black man being murdered in uh, Indianapolis. Sean Reed was murdered, I believe, on Facebook Live. He was uh, driving. Um, he got into a high-speed chase with police. He was live-streaming the encounter on Facebook Live. Um, apparently, in the video, you can, like, he, he clearly knows he fucked up, and uh, he was saying stuff in the video like, uh, I messed up, guys. Somebody come get my stupid ass. Please come get me. Please come get me. Please come get me. So, you know, like, uh, knew he had fucked up and got into this high-speed chase. He finally pulls over. He gets out of the car. You can apparently hear him on the video saying, I'm on 67nd or 62nd and Michigan. I just parked. I'm gone. Please come get me. And then... You hear a voice yelling at the man, stop, stop. Apparently, allegedly, the driver responds, fuck you. Then they shoot him a lot. And at some point, 
you can hear a voice and uh, a lot of people are saying that it's one of the police officers but of course you can't really be 100 percent sure because it's just a voice saying it on this video someone says uh looks like it's gonna going to be a closed casket homie yikes um and i have a feeling the reason that this story didn't get as much play as uh arbor's story is that it's that mike brown he was no angel situation where you have somebody who was on a high-speed chase it's just easier to dismiss the murder of sean reed and when you shoot somebody 11 or 12 times that's a murder even if you're wearing a, a uniform at the time especially if he's trying to run away from you and you get him in the back um i don't know if he was shot in the back but the story is that he was running away when they shot him that's a murder um th but it's easier to sort of dismiss sean reed because it's like well he was a criminal um but also, he was a veteran. Uh, he spent a year in the Air Force, um, was splitting his time between Indianapolis and North Texas. Um, his family member has family members have come forward to talk about, you know, that he was a really beloved family member. And I think we just need to ask ourselves, like, is the penalty for fucking up an execution? And it's not. Like, Look, he ran from the cops. He he did something wrong. Does that mean he should be shot 11 or 12 times in the street as he's trying to get it? Like, no. <laughs> and it's fucking lunacy to say that's an appropriate response to somebody running from police officers. You don't get to execute a human being. You just don't. And if you think that's an appropriate response, you have handed the police way too much power. <laughs> like, I don't get these conservatives who are so terrified about handing the state too much power but they're perfectly okay with the police being able to publicly execute people like this. Or is it only okay if they do it to black people? Is that what we're saying? I think that's what you're saying. Okay. So I also wanted to talk about <laughs> um, Plandemic. Let's talk about Plandemic. So I realized that I have either unfollowed or muted any conservative family member who might have posted this video, because I didn't see it at all on my timeline. Did you guys see it on your timelines? Hashtag light trees and pod, let me know. I know at least a few of you must have, because guess what? 1.8 million people saw this video before Facebook finally decided to take it down. So tons of people saw it. Chances are you might have seen it on your own timelines. Uh, let's talk about Plandemic. In case you didn't see what it was and you saw a bunch of people posting about videos and Facebook and you were like, what the fuck happened? This was a conspiracy video that was posted on Facebook uh, supposedly about how the COVID-19 outbreak was a planned government event that was, I guess, supposed to trick m a lot more people into getting vaccinated. So surprise, surprise, the anti-vaxxers are behind this one, too. Although we don't know who actually paid for the production of the video yet, it does feature uh, a scientist uh, named Judy Mikovits, who is described in the video as being one of the most accomplished scientists of her generations. She has, uh, she's the author of several 
very, very popular books on Amazon. They are selling better than like the Twilight series. That's how many <laughs> people are buying these books, unfortunately. And even though Mikovitz insists that she's not anti-vaccination, she's an anti-vaxxer. She actually, she is. Um, she's written about it before. We know this about her. I think she was afraid of being immediately dismissed by the scientific community if she came out as anti-vaxxer. So she tried to run from it, but this is how she gained a following. A lot of people fell for this video because it's really well made. It's this really slickly produced 26 minute video. So not too long. It's like something that you could commit to time-wise, which you know is deliberate. They took that into consideration. Um, and if you don't know any better, you would watch this and be like, well, it's really well made. It just, it looks like a documentary. Um, one of the ways to always tell if it's not really a documentary, though, is if they let somebody like Judy Mikovits just go off without anybody fact-checking her. Uh, a real documentary would bring in another scientist to be like, well, actually, we, we, we do disagree with that. And like it would try to be balanced. This documentary just lets Judy Mikovits go off. So that's sort of an easy way to tell that it's, it's not a valid documentary. So I'll link to this NPR uh, sort of play-by-play -play that picks apart what she says in the documentary. Not that I think you guys need it, but if you need, you know, something to forward a conservative relative who's like, I saw on the Facebook, uh, in there was a paper published in 2009 in which Mikovits is among 13 researchers who claim to have found that a mouse retrovirus may contribute to chronic fatigue syndrome. So the reason this is in the video is because Willis says the paper sent shockwaves through the scientific community as it revealed the common use of animal and human fetal tissues were unleashing devastating plagues of chronic diseases. So basically, Mikovits is saying they knew that this was happening uh, and it, it, it led to pandemic. However, two years after its publication, the paper was retracted by the authors, which is a very unusual occurrence in a peer-reviewed uh, scientific journal. Science wrote at the time that multiple laboratories, including those of the original authors, have failed to reliably detect the mouse retrovirus in chronic fatigue syndrome patients. In addition, there is, no, there is evidence of poor quality control in a number of, of specific experiments in the report. So it's a shitty study it got pulled because it sucked <laughs> and it wasn't reliable. And this is sort of uh, a theme in Mikovits' career as a scientist. She's a shitty scientist. She's not respected by the community. Uh, somebody got her on board for this documentary. I'll be very interested to see who paid for this thing when that comes to light, and it will come to light. Um, I'll be interested, but you know we won't be surprised <laughs> when we see who it is. So yeah, um, there's a bunch of really great articles now if you just Google pandemic of different news sources that uh, line by line disprove everything that was said in this uh, documentary and just reveal it as, you know, the, the fraud it is. Unfortunately, very few people will follow up seeing a conspiracy theory video with fact-checking fact it. So we know 1.8 million people at least saw this thing how many of them do you think are going to follow up on Google like, I don't know. Maybe I should fact check this real quick. 
that almost never happens. It almost never happens. So Facebook, once again, was late on this, pulled it too late. The damage is done. How many people now fucking believe this because they saw it on Facebook? Once again, Facebook is the leading platform in pushing conspiracy theories. Maybe not the leading. I think YouTube might be up there too. But both of those platforms, conspiracy theorists are just having a field day on them and they're getting to your conservative relatives. Um, now, they probably didn't need that big of a push, but still, still bad, still bad. All right, and then finally, and I am putting this in the bad news section because it is bad news, even though we might not like these people. Um, it seems like everybody in this administration has coronavirus. <laughs> like, again, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but we're hearing like Stephen Miller's wife has it, Mike Pence's press secretary. I think uh, one of Trump's drivers has it. Like all of these people on the the peripheral are, are getting it around them. I don't think it would be difficult to believe that a lot of a lot of them have it as well or will have it very soon. Um, and it's just bizarre to see an administration that is trying to downplay this downplay this pandemic that is very hard to say downplay this pandemic at every opportunity also just be inundated <laughs> by the virus like Stephen Miller your wife has it at what point are you gonna say okay now now it's a problem now it's a problem somebody that I love question mark I don't know if Stephen Miller's capable of love but you know what I mean your dang wife has it Mike Pence your press secretary named Katie has it Oh my God, can I read you one of my favorite lines I've written I've read recently? So Trump was asked about Mike Pence's press person, uh, Katie, testing positive. And the Detroit News wrote the following. Quote, I don't know much about it, Trump said. Quote, she's a wonderful young woman. And then the Detroit News, all on their own, wrote this sentence. She is the only member of Pence's press staff named Katie. <laughs> Like, bitch, you know who Katie is? There's only one Katie. And she's Mike Pence, your best friend, Mike Pence. That's how the vice president works, right? The the president and the vice president are best friends. Your best friend, that's his pres press secretary or, or press person. Is she press secretary? I don't know. Uh, press staff. Katie has it. You know Katie. Don't play like you don't know Katie. We all know Katie. Wow, poor Katie. I'm sorry, Katie. That's another fucked up thing about the story. Listen, everybody who works for the Trump administration is a collaborator, okay? I still think it's fucked up that this woman, without her consent, now everybody knows she has coronavirus. <laughs> and it's like, well, shit, maybe that wouldn't have happened if this administration wasn't so secretive and so dismissive of the pandemic to begin with. They wouldn't have to actually out them when they have tested positive for the virus. But listen, um, coronavirus doesn't care if you're a high-ranking member of the Trump administration. It's coming for you. And you would think someone who is a hypochondriac like Trump is would care about this shit more. But I guess the narcissism beat the hypochondria. Um, guys, that's enough of the bad. That was quite a bit of bad. Let's get to some dang good news. Here's your good news. <laughs>
All right, first up in good news, and this is sort of a eternally good news story. Dolly Parton. What if that's all I said and then I just moved on to item number two? First up in good news, Dolly Parton. Okay, number two, there's more, although I don't need to say more because Dolly Parton. Are you picturing her face in your mind right now? I am. Dolly Parton. Can you hear that voice? Sure you can. Dolly Parton. Uh, Dolly Parton, uh, believe it or not, might be behind a treatment uh, for COVID-19. Now, that's how the story is being presented by a lot of people. Like, can you believe the dumb blonde country lady? Which I find incredibly insulting, because first of all, Dolly Parton is a brilliant businesswoman, built an empire all on her own, um, but also she constantly gives to charities and, and not just one charity, a whole host of charities. Dolly gives a shit ton of money. Can I believe Dolly Parton's behind a treatment for COVID-19? You're damn fucking right I can. I would not be surprised if you told me Dolly Parton cured COVID. I'd be like, yes, she did. Yes, she did. Did she write an album too? I bet she did. In all things, trust Dolly is what I'm saying. Anyway, so... This is a little bit of a story because it goes back to 2013 when she was in uh, a horrible, horrible car crash. Um, but during that time, she bef uh, befriended Vanderbilt University surgeon Naji uh, Ubermrad, who introduced her to the school's cutting edge antibody research when the COVID-19 pan pandemic began. So now Dolly has donated a million dollars to the Vanderbilt Vaccine Center, money which is hard at work, paying for research into synthetic antibodies that could treat sick COVID-19 patients. And I just like to think that there might be a day where I receive an antibody vaccine that was given to me by Dolly Parton. For me, that would be the apex of human uh, joy. If they were like, this is from Dolly, I would be like, oh, thank you. Listen, all vaccines are good. Vaccines funded by Dolly Parton are better. I'm sorry. That's just a fact I gave to you on this show. So thank you, Dolly. Everybody say, thank you, Dolly. Um, yeah, the, the best celebrity we have. Hands down. Dolly Parton. Also in good news, whew, listen, this story got me. Um, so I think I might just read it to you because it's from Yahoo News. Listen, I can't always give you the best source, but I don't know. I, I, don't, I just read it and I was like, by the end of it, sort of choked up. But anyway, donations to Native American tribes who have been badly hit by the coronavirus are flooding in from Ireland as they repay a debt dating back to the 19th century potato famine. Wow, what an opening paragraph Yahoo News. Um, who actually wrote this? Because I feel like I should credit them. David Millward. Oh, and you know what? Fuck Yahoo. They got it from the Telegraph. So this is from the Telegraph. Sorry, everybody. But also a slightly better source than Yahoo News. At least 41 people have fallen victim to COVID-19 in the Navajo tribe, with the spike in cases partly attributed to a water crisis. 
An estimated 40% of the Navajo do not have running water at home, and a drought in the southwest has exacerbated the difficulties. As the crisis intensified, the Navajo and Hopi families set up a GoFundMe campaign to raise cash to pay for bottled water. Man, isn't America the best that if you get sick, you just have to hope your GoFundMe goes well? Man, I hope I'm popular enough where people don't let me die. Sorry, that was Allison. That was not the Telegraph. Already more than $1.3 million has been raised with donations flooding in from Ireland. The generosity dates back to a gesture made in March 1847 when the Choctaw tribe, which was gradually reestablishing itself in Oklahoma, having been ousted from its ancestral lands in Mississippi, heard news of the Irish potato famine across the Atlantic. Meeting in a building in Scullyville, Oklahoma, the Choctaw were asked to dig deep for people thousands of miles away they had never met. They did, and donations poured in. Now, 173 years later, the gesture, gesture has been repaid with donors from Ireland opening their wallets to help. The Choctaw and Navajo First Nation people helped the Irish during the Great Famine despite their own suffering, wrote Michael Corky, who, paid, who donated $200. When I heard about it, I never forgot it. They know all people are the same in the end and showed such decency and humanity. It's history now, but we are still grateful. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? Ah, oh, I love that. And look, I don't love that <laughs> the Choctaw and the Hopi don't have access to clean drinking water. Uh, it's crazy. But I do love that people in Ireland were like, hey, you had our back during the potato famine. We got your back now. It's just people being decent. You got to love it, right? Remember how in 2020 people don't have access to clean drinking water and it's only going to get worse? Sorry, you know, I had to bring it down a little bit. I don't want you guys to get too happy and float away. I would be like, oh, no, come back. I got to, you know, I got to bring it down a little bit. So also in good news, if you can believe it, um, I'm always very hesitant to report on like, vaccine news for COVID because the situation's so rapidly changing and, you know, we see so many medical news stories that'll be like, COVID doesn't affect kids. And now it's like, well, maybe it does. And we just didn't understand how it affected the kids. So, you know, I'm, I'm cautious, but this seems broad enough uh, that I think I'm okay. So a big issue especially in the United States right now, is this issue of testing people for COVID because that's really going to be the only way we can effectively reopen the economy is if, A, we have an actual understanding of how many people have it because right now, like, it's so hard to know because you can be asymptomatic and, and be a carrier and also a vaccine. So we need to know how many people actually have it and we need to know we can cure them of it before we can reopen the economy 100%. So states are, in a very fucked up way, individually grappling over, like, can we reopen? Can we not reopen? Texas was like, fuck it, and reopened, which is going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, other states, like New York, were like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, everyone has it, probably. Like, we can't open the economy right now. Uh, so everybody's trying to figure that out. Health experts have all agreed on one thing above all else. COVID-19 testing capacity will be critical for quickly identifying and responding to new cases and minimizing the coronavirus threat. So the update and potentially good news is there's a powerful shortcut 
to ramping up the number of Americans who get tested, and it might be sitting there in plain sight. So new studies have begun raising the profile of a longstanding testing strategy for infectious diseases as a way to dramatically increase capacity while minimizing America's notorious bottleneck of shortages in lab supplies. So this thing is called sample pooling or pooled testing, and proponents say it could go a long way toward filling the country's glaring gaps in COVID-19 surveillance. Um, Baha Abulhamid, sorry, uh, an assistant professor of pathology and microbiology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Lincoln, said, I'm surprised that not all people are doing it. So the gist is uh, this involves pooling or combining a portion of the nasal swab or saliva-based samples taken from multiple patients from four to 30 or even more in some cases into a single tube for one COVID-19 test. A negative test result in that case offers a high degree of confidence that everyone in that pool was COVID-19 negative and would spare health departments from having to follow up with each individual. A positive test result would require, of course, the retesting of samples from each individual within the pool. So basically, it's just a faster way to get to the negatives. If you're all negative, chances are you don't have it. Although I will say this, this is a huge caveat. I know multiple people who got tested the first time, it said negative, and then they got tested a second time and it said positive. This thing is wild. <laughs> like, I don't think we fully understand it. We, I mean, not think, we don't fully understand it. We don't fully understand what it does to the neurological system. Uh, you know, like the, the sign uh, that it affects your neurological system is obviously people are developing brain clots sometimes, but also the fact that you lose your sense of smell and your sense of taste. That's not a sinus thing, that's a brain thing. So like we are just beginning to understand this thing and I get very nervous about the testing because it's like, like I said, I know some people who tested negative and then they actually did have it, which is terrifying. But anyway, it's interesting to see the whole scientific community <laughs> laser focused on one issue <laughs> like this, you know? Um, and it always makes me I don't want to say optimistic, but it gives me hope when so many smart people are focused on one thing. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, somebody's going to get this, right? Somebody's going to come up with a vaccine. Look at how smart you all are. Although, haven't a lot of smart people have been working on cancer? And, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that popped right by the mic. Guys, um, thank you so much for all of the support, not just now, but also over the years. And um, I wanted to leave you with something, I don't know, a little joyous, a little, um, a little something to lift your spirits. So um, I wanted to play for you something that I watched maybe no fewer than 300 times, I think, conservatively yesterday and I, I'm currently looking up the name of the gentleman who originally posted it because you know all credit to where credit is due there are geniuses who walk among us and I think we should support them John Waskell posted a video um, and I, I think you can enjoy it without the visual element of seals the animal seals singing Kiss from a Rose 
by Seal. And um, enjoy. recommendation that I'm going to put in the good news section just because it made me so tremendously happy. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's one of the most amazing commercials I've ever seen. I'm not going to tell you, I guess I have to tell you what it's for, but I, th- I think I can tell you what it's for and it's still worth rewatching it. <laughs> there is a commercial that is making the rounds on Twitter right now that is one of those very earnest commercials from a brand that's like, we care about the children and it's featuring these amazing young girls who are scientists and inventors all in their own right. They're inventing incredibly important things for our society. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Is is this like um, some kind of fund for for young girls who are interested in uh, the science uh, sciences or uh, you know being inventors? Nope. Uh, the turn at the end is that it is for the game Ms. Monopoly. Um, Ms. Monopoly is a girl who, a young woman, excuse me, who got her start. This is the actual backstory from the Monopoly people, who got her start in real estate because uh, she is uh, the the niece, I think, of Mr. Monopoly. So she's not even self-made. She inherited multiple millions from her relative. <laughs> so she's a trust fund kid and decided to become a slum lord. But she's got girl power because she's also like an inventor. Uh, and then also the game has like features a lot of uh, famous lady entrepreneurs, including the woman who invented Spanx because Spanx are feminism and feminism is Spanx. Apparently, guys, this commercial, I laughed so hard at the reveal when she opens the Ms. Monopoly <laughs> gift that I scared my cat. Desmond was furious at me. I cackled. I cackled so loudly. Uh, I'll link to both the the seal video, which I so hope uh, made you happy, and the the Ms. Monopoly commercial in the episode description for this episode. And guys, you know, if you see anything that you're like, wow, this would make Allison lose her dang mind. You can always tweet me at Allison Kilkenny. I'm also on Instagram at uh, Allison Kilkenny. I'm not creative with my handles. I never have been. It's always just my name. So you can actually find me. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> what is branding? 
guys, thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, some people have upgraded their support during this time, which is absolutely bananas and wild, and I so appreciate it. Because uh, I didn't get into it too much on today's episode, but if you go back and you listen to some older episodes, not older, um, in the past month, <laughs> uh, shit in New York City is very bad right now. Uh, constant sirens. Uh, everybody knows somebody who has died from covid um i have uh, you know very close friends who have had family members die from it it's affecting everybody it's awful um everything has closed uh including theaters that i used to write and uh perform at including ucb so it's like a very hard time for the community it's really hard on everybody right now and by the way I also recognize my privilege because I'm not an essential worker. I've basically gotten to stay home during this and just hide. Um, and uh, I, I just like, I, I feel so tremendously for, I have friends who are nurses uh, and doctors and MTA workers and they have to go to work every day and it, it's awful. It's like watching human sacrifice happening and it's, I I really, really hope this changes our society for the better because, like, watching people have to just go to work until they die. Like, we've had, like, multiple postal workers in my neighborhood. Yeah, like, it's awful. But what I'm trying to say is your support means a lot. Um, we're all doing the best we can. I hope you're staying home. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're doing reasonably well in quarantine. I know being shut in for so long can be hard on people's mental health. So don't be hard on yourself. If, if you have felt like you've just been a lump for two months and not done anything good, uh, you did do something. You, you fucking stayed home and you probably saved a lot of lives. So don't feel bad. Cause you didn't write the great American novel. Nobody's writing the great American novel right now. I promise you, you know, what's going to happen after this. We're going to get a bunch of shitty quarantine content about a meet cute where two people meet each other during quarantine somehow and fall in love. And that's the only thing being written right now. So you're not missing out on anything. Um, be nice to yourself. Do something nice for yourself today. And yeah, as always, feel free to contact the show social media, email. I love hearing from you guys, especially now. Oh my God, human contact. Are you kidding me? That's my new drug. Like if you tweet me and you go, hi, I'm like, oh, dopamine. What? It's amazing. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. And as always, you guys, um, get out there and cause a little trouble. Um, asterisk next to that. Wear a mask, stay six feet away from everybody uh, and be well. Be well.